Welcome to Beyond the Field Podcast, your weekly dose of finance, property, and epic people doing epic things powered by the team at Money Empire. Get informed and entertained with the coolest cats in the business. Welcome back to Beyond the Field. My name's Goran. I've got Sanj with me, and we have a very special guest today, someone who um, coaches people uh, to overcome challenges of public speaking to enable them to achieve their personal goals, and also someone who works with a range of clients from entrepreneurs to leaders of global organizations, as well as running workshops for corporates. Um, Director of Naked Audience, Miriam Chancellor, welcome. Thank you, Goran. I will pretend to sound exceedingly flattered as if you hadn't just read that off my website. I did. This is off yours directly. It was so well written. I was like, I'm going to use this contact. Thank you. Did you write that? Yeah, I think I did. It was a wee while ago. Thank you. Yeah, it was a wee while ago now. Probably need some updating. But that is me in a nutshell. Love it. Um, Some quick quick fire questions for you. You'll edit that, won't you? Fish Um, choir questions. What is your favorite bird? Oh, gosh. Oh, it's got to be the tui, okay. right? That's probably quite cliche, but okay. the sound of but the tui. Safe. I wake up to tuis each Safe morning. option as well. Yep. Love it. Um, if you were to have a death row meal, what would it be? Last meal. Oh. Come on. You well, got- la- okay, last night I made this amazing slow-cooked lamb with duck fat oh. potatoes oh. and asparagus, and it was yeah. mean, so probably something like that. Okay. Nice, nice answer. I'm going to change it up here a little bit. Um, how many letters are in the alphabet? 26. Um, that's 11. T-H-E-A-L-P-H-A-B-E-T. The Sorry, alphabet. What? <laughs> <laughs> that's a trick question. Oh, that's obviously. a trick question. Yeah, I was yeah. like, what? Okay. Let me see. Um, what is the name of your book if you were to write your life story about? Well, okay, can we just take a slight side step? Because I was talking to Kane earlier about what his book would be. Do you remember what I came up with? I I said it should be called Kane is Able. Okay. You know Kane and Able? Yes, of course. I like that. That's amazing. But in terms of mine, probably one, it'd probably be based on my favorite quote, which is focus on the inputs and the outputs will take care of themselves. Brilliant. Or, Or just inputs. Probably okay. something. Like that. Yep. Yeah. I love Sounds that. Good. That's fantastic. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself, Miriam. Tell us the backstory and um, how you, um, what led you to become who you are. Oh, that's a big question. So I'm the youngest of three kids. I grew up in Tauranga. I went to a private school and then switched to Tauranga Girls College. My mum thought I would become a drug dealer in the process of doing that, but it was okay. The public school was great. Okay. Uh, so I've since, yeah, so been in Tauranga during my upbringing. After high school, I took a gap year, so went over to the UK, was based in a school in Surrey as music teacher assistant, where I was just trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. So at school, for some context, I was heavily involved in music and drama. So outside of what I do now, I'm also a pianist and, uh, yeah, as I said, very involved in the drama scene. So I was considering at this point whether I'd go over to Australia and do, you know, musical theatre degree. I was also involved in singing, but that idea didn't quite sit right with me so I took the time out to take a gap year where as I said I was at this school which was absolutely fantastic you know leaving high school at 17 getting that independence learning how to 
deal with with stuff without you know mum and dad to be able to help you and it was such a fantastic experience at that point I thought I wanted to then study law my dad thought law would be a great safe traditional reliable secure Mm -hmm. career path and and look it, it is but it wasn't for me I started studying law when I came back to Auckland switched to communications at AUT where I majored in public relations ended up interning at enough places to realize that's not what I wanted to to do I didn't want to get into PR ended up doing executive recruitment for a bit then was at Saatchi and Saatchi for a bit and then finally uh well parallel to this I was actually involved in Auckland Toastmasters then became president of Auckland Toastmasters for someone who doesn't know what Toastmasters is out there Precisely. Could you tell, tell the listeners what Toastmasters Excellent is? It's question. fabulous. So basically, you learn how to cook really good toast. <laughs> no, no. Good no. I still haven't figured out. I was a part of it for five years, and I still don't know how to cook toast. No. So it's a public speaking and leadership club. So essentially, it's an extracurricular activity that people do after work or after school or after university or, or whenever. And you learn how to speak confidently in front of an audience. That's basically it. And then the key part of Toastmasters is that you're constantly being evaluated. So that feedback piece is absolutely key. And are there judges there? Or are judges, they, uh, no. It's just done by other people within the club. Right, so you've okay. got your Toastmasters colleagues who are there who are also part of the same people club. How many in the setting? Like in, depends. Depends okay. on the club size. So ours is about 30. Okay. Uh, but clubs vary in size and ability. It, it just depends. And, and you take people through a, a few modules? They've got to get through the modules? You want to Correct. That? Yeah. Correct. So people are on their own uh, pathways, what they what they call it. So, Goran, you might sign up to do a communications, humorous communications pathway. Okay. Sanj, you might do, sign up because you're interested in communicating to inform or persuade. So everyone's on their own individual pathways. Okay. And then each time you have the opportunity to speak, you're, you're doing the next step in that pathway yep so that's that's toastmasters it's it's really great if you're looking to get that regular practice because that's a lot of what public speaking is about right that regular experience so that was pretty key in in the refining of my my skills bear in mind i was already reasonably confident and competent in front of an audience by that stage uh so then long story short while i was involved in toastmasters i was asked to run a couple of workshops for corporates and I started doing those, and I remember um, my husband came along to the first public one I ever ran, and he's the type of person that's very analytical and logical and careful with his words, and he says what he means. And afterwards, I said to him, so how, how was it? Was, was that okay? And he's like, that was so good. You should probably be doing it for a job. Is that what he said? <laughs> yeah. Really? Yeah. The first time you visited? Correct. So cool. first time I'd ever run a workshop. So that was, I think, a defining moment for me is like, ah, there's something here. Mm. And also I was just so energized after that. Like I just love, love running these workshops. So then um, those kept going for a while. This was still a side hustle at the stage. Lockdown hit. I was due to, my contract at Saatchi's was due to end. So then I picked up naked audience and made it a full-time gig at the beginning of a global pandemic wow. so it's a bit of bit of fun so that that's the probably long tell us tell us a bit about um, naked audience how firstly how did you come up with the i know the, ma- the name yes. and yeah. also just for listeners out there do you imagine the audience naked or not 
No, and I don't recommend it either. It's okay. not good advice, but it does make for a good business name. So yeah, as you as you know, the the name Naked Audience comes from that old school piece of advice, which is just visualize your audience naked, yep. which I think is meant to humanize your audience. I was just going to say, like, how does that work? I mean, do yeah. You- who, uh, came who knows? Up who knows? Anyway. So I think it's meant to humanize I, I the audience. I was just going to say maybe take the emotion out of it, but you probably won't, would you? Mm. If you see everyone naked. No, yeah, <laughs> and you don't want to take all the emotion out <laughs> of it, right? No, you don't. So, <laughs> so I think it's just meant to put you at ease, relax you a bit. Anyway, yeah. it's terrible advice, but it's a great name. Yeah. It's funny. I was on LinkedIn <laughs> the other day, and this guy was contacted me, and he was talking about naked audience, but he was talking about it, relating it to naked attraction. The oh, TV yeah. series, <laughs> right. and I'm like, no, 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 no you're very way off. different. Way off. Uh, but it was kind of funny. So everyone, it's funny. Everyone remembers the naked. They're like, oh yeah, you're Miriam from Naked. Naked. What? What's it? I'm like, hey, that's that's it's done its, its, it's job. It's stuck. It's, it's stuck. memorable. Yeah. Uh, so that was a funny process coming up with the name because I literally sat down with a piece of paper and I think I came up with three in the space of thirty seconds. And Naked Audience was one of them. And right. the other one was a plum. But I'm like, oh, that's far too yeah. stuffy and, and serious, pretentious. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I was like, no. And then I'm like, naked audience. I love it. And then I ran it past a couple of people. And there was someone, I remember I was, as I was saying, I was at Saatchi's at the time. And I ran it past someone and said, and he didn't had no idea what I did outside of work. So he didn't know about the public speaking stuff. Mm. And I said, if you were to look up naked audience as a business, what would you expect to find? Which is quite a dangerous thing to ask. Yes. But he's like, I don't know, something to do with public speaking. So I'm like, ah, I've got it. Brilliant. The funny thing is when I set up my YouTube channel, my dad texted me and he's like, Miriam, um, I've typed in naked audience to YouTube and um, I've it's come up with lots of wobbly dangly bits, but I can't <laughs> seem to find you. So it does make looking for the business online sometimes, sometimes tricky. But no, my, my SEO has since, since improved. Brilliant. So who's your, um, your your typical client if you have to? Typical client, executives mostly. Yeah. Uh, so if it's in that one-on-one professional development capacity, it's executives, senior management. If it's in a group setting, it tends to be teams, yeah. whatever that looks like. Yeah, for, across industries as well. Yeah. So Because obviously it's not an industry-specific skill yeah. set. Now, am I correct in saying you do a bit of work with school at schools as well? No. Oh, the only connection I have with schools is that for the last five, six years, I've been yeah. adjudicating the Kiwanis Secondary right. School Speech yeah, Competition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, yeah. technically, uh, funny enough, that actually was my first proper coaching gig that I got way before, way before I started Naked Audience. And I knew I loved working with these kids and giving them feedback on their school speeches, which is which is quite quaint. Um, but, yeah, so not, not so much schools. That's just yeah. a really annual thing that I do. Right, right. How long do your workshops last, like a session, for, for example? Various. Okay. Typical for a team setting, it's, you know, it could be a couple, two to three, two to three-hour sessions. So okay. it just, just depends. One-on-ones? One-on-ones, one hour. Okay. Yeah, and then right. maybe spread fortnightly apart. Okay. Mm. I'm going to put you on the spot. Please. People tell me I'm confident. People mm-hmm. tell me I'm funny. Okay. Oh, sorry, sh- who, who said that? Uh, a lot of people tell me I'm confident that He's I'm funny. Fun. Some, He's a funny some, guy. Some people. Some people, sorry. Yeah. Thank you. But uh, at the end of the day, I'm quite shy and I don't like to speak in public. What are some tips you would be able to give me straight off the cuff to um, help me talk to schools, businesses, partners, executives, friends? 
<laughs> so yeah, I'll charge you for this. No. So just, just, can I just be... ask a follow up question? Yes, go. So you say you're confident yes. as a person. Yes. But at the prospect of speaking, you're not confident. Correct. Okay. Especially in front of people that I don't know. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting because some people are more fearful in front of people that. I'm the other way around. Yeah, you're I'm the really other comfortable around. with you know people that I know. Okay. People at work, mm-hmm. but when I'm in the public mm-hmm. or I'm tasked to speak mm-hmm. in front of a large audience, I'm not very confident. Okay. And what do you find, apart from the nervousness, what do you find challenging about I just it? find myself babbling. Okay. Like just going off track. Okay. And then mixing up words. Rambling? Rambling. And in this context, how prepared would you tend to be? Um, probably, What's your approach? Well... Probably not as prepared as I, as I should be. Okay. And going in, I'll just wing it sort of mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Is there, is there, is there hope for me? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, so I'm a believer that anyone can learn to, to be an effective speaker. It's very, very, it's very hard. Yes, it is hard. But like the problem with it is because we can all talk and we can all speak, yeah. we think it should be easy to get up and speak in front of an audience. Yeah. It's a different skill set. Okay. Like anything, like studying finance like studying marketing or or learning how to play the piano it's hard initially but it gets easier with two things Mm -hmm. exposure or experience Mm -hmm. and preparation so just doing it and being prepared correct the worst thing and i've come across people that uh, are very nervous speakers and they say oh no i can't prepare because if i prepare i'm going to be acknowledging that this speaking gig is actually coming up and i am going to have to do it which is completely the wrong approach to that take. is so interesting yeah so so preparing yourself in advance and then because what that does is it sets you up for success right you're more likely to do a good job and then when you do a good job you store that away and you think oh i did okay i can do this and then it gets a little bit easier next time and that's when the experience comes in so okay. you do it time after time and time what tends to happen is that people what not tens what can happen is that people will might not prepare enough mm-hmm. and they get up they have a bad bad experience and they say i can't do it i'm not a public speaker i'm never yeah. doing it again and i come into contact with that all all the time uh, and it's it's so sad but like anything you've just got to work at it i'd say for someone that's a rambler preparation is all the more important mm. because that's when you can start thinking intentionally about your your structure the logic of your ideas the flow of your argument what supporting examples you have but also it's incredibly important to have someone whether it's in toastmasters or whether it's a hiring a public speaking coach to be able to guide you and say ah this is where you're getting off track or you can cut that short or this point needs work because often it takes an outsider to be able to yep. to comment and, and advise in that way awesome Thank so, you so, so you're a, you're an excellent um or expert public speaker and you coach now yes my question yeah, is Hera, my question is do you still get nervous and if you do what do you do to overcome that's a lovely question and i'm Thank glad you. you asked it I think I would be lying if I said I didn't, but... So your heart rate goes up? Yep. A few beads? I'm not so much a sweater, but more... So people have different symptoms when it comes to nervousness, right? So some people get the sweaty palms, some people get like dry mouth. Do you sleep the night before a big... Soundly. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. It's it's become so... I mean, but bear in mind, bear in mind, I'm doing these 
every week sometimes every day so you know talk about experience i've accrued you know 20 years worth of speaking experience in the space of two years because i've just that's what i do for a job now Mm. so it gets easier like anything but you do get nervous but i do get nervous but the key here is that i know one that i'm good at what i do and two i'm prepared and often as well nervousness and excitement chemically are the same thing yep so i have reinterpreted uh nervousness as excitement so when i feel that i'm like oh yeah i'm so excited about this i'm ready to do it and that also gives you a little bit of an edge because if you're not if you've got no nervousness then you can get complacent you don't care do you yeah exactly so a little bit of nervousness is is absolutely fine and anyone that said anyone that says that they're not nervous is either lying or they're a psychopath (laughs) so nervousness why if you have to have a um, uh, like a guess at it where does nervousness come from not necessarily for you for other people is it the fear of unknown fear of failure what is it you i think you're bang on yeah that's a great list fear of unknown fear of failure fear of judgment fear of not being good enough if you ask yourself you know what so sometimes what i ask people is when you imagine yourself getting up and speaking in front of an audience what are you actually afraid of so making a mistake making a mistake yep fear Uh, of stuffing up fear of stuffing up and then ask yourself what's the what if behind that fear Mm. so fear of stuffing up it might be what if i forget my line what if that's my biggest fear okay my biggest fear is that that i'll be going through a presentation um presentations aren't too bad because you've got stuff written Mm -hmm. down and so on but if it's like an impromptu or or not impromptu as such but just like a presentation where i don't have a presentation it's like what Oh shit! What if I forget? Yeah, yeah. So so that's what if I forget my lines? Yeah. So that's preparation. So then, so then if you can identify those what ifs, a lot of if you actually look at them together, you know, what if I forget my lines? What if I I uh, stuff up? What if I look like a fool? What if I am just credited? What if I say the wrong thing? They're all fears of. They're all fears that haven't happened yet. Yes. Like they're fears of the unknown. Yeah. Right? So if you can then, uh, when you prepare, you're basically eliminating the chances of those things occurring, right? Yeah. Parallel to that, I would also ask you, so often those fears are irrational, yeah. right? Like if you're prepared, yeah. you'll probably be fine. And even if you do muck up, you'll get yourself back on track. Yeah. And no one else knows, right? And no one else. Yeah, your audience doesn't know what no. you'd plan to say. So yeah. if you end up forgetting out a section, who cares? It, yeah. doesn't, it doesn't matter. That's where I ramble. That's, that's where, where I ramble. ramble. Ah. That's where I ramble. We found a solution then. You're then fine I'm like, now. Shit, nervous. Uh, my brain's like, oh, better start making up the time. And, you know, I've forgotten. Um, so, so just to clarify, you you ramble when you realize you've missed a section. And I'll go in circles. Track. Okay. And I'll go in circles and then I'll start embarrassing myself. You know what probably. the best thing to do in that case is be, just, honestly, I do this even myself, is, is if, I've, if I don't know where I'm going with things, I go, hold on. Where was I going with this? Hmm. Okay. And take a moment to refer back to your notes. Okay. You're human. It happens. Okay. And actually, the audience will probably be grateful that you were so into it right. that you even lost track of what you were speaking yes. about, right? right? They're yeah. very forgiving. Um, but just going back to the comments that we were making before about nervousness, something that can help is identifying, as I was saying, the, the fears are often irrational. Yeah. So identifying what are you actually afraid of and then coming up with some kind of truth statement uh, 
that helps you debunk that core fear. Yep. Let me give you an example. Mm-hmm. When I was starting out, like anyone, I was fear of judgment. What if I forget yep. my lines? What if I screw up? And then I had this realization that my audience doesn't care about me as much as I would like to think. Hmm. Yep. It's true, right? Yeah, yeah, of course. So yeah. that worked for me. So my truth statement became, don't flatter yourself, Miriam. Your audience doesn't care about you as much as you would like to think. Yeah. And so every time that that negative self-talk came in, any time the nervousness kind of got a hold of me, I'd remind myself of that. Hmm. And over time, that new belief replaced the old one. And yeah. this was my not new reality. So I now know, ah, who cares? I'm, it's, it's all good. My audience doesn't care about me as much as I would like to think. It may sound quite cynical, but it worked for me. No, and that's, right. what, that's what counts. And generally, you are your, your worst critic, right? Totally. For most people. Totally. Yeah, so some people, uh, you know, another thing you can tell yourself is the only person that's going to obsess over a mistake that you're gonna, you've made, whether it's rambling, whether it's forgetting your lines, mm-hmm. is you. They yeah. get on with their life. Right? I mean, I come, came across this bias the other day that was talking about often we are fearful of particularly physical, uh, physical appearances or how we come across in certain situations. And we have this bias that thinks people see that quite uh, conspicuously. Where did you see this? Where did you read this? I don't, this is uh, fascinating. Yeah, someone posted it on a post okay. that I made. Anyway, regardless. Yeah, so... But the thing is, it's it's just utter nonsense because what do people care about? Themselves. Yeah. They're caring about their own appearances. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're worried about, you know, whether your hair looks okay or whether you've worn the right shoes or or, you know, if you've got something in your teeth, although to be fair that's probably is probably noticeable. But you know, don't <laughs> obsess over it because yep. no one else is. Yeah. <laughs> it's just you. Yeah. Your audience doesn't care, people yep. don't care, they're thinking about themselves and they're getting on with their day. Yeah. Wow. Tell us sense. tell us about your most most scariest experience, either during a speech or before, um, in your in your work environment. Yeah. That's something that you thought, Oh my god, I am shitting myself here. Excuse my language. No, that's okay. Uh, funny enough, one that comes to mind, it might not be the scariest, but it was very oh, that's right, it was my first in person workshop. Yeah. So Lockdown, I was running all these workshops online, and I am a chronic over-preparer, particularly, well, less now because I'm so confident and, and sure of myself and what I'm teaching. But early on, when this was all new for me, I tended to over-prepare. And I had this, this in-person workshop it was three parts. I'd done the first part, it went really well, it went according to the plan I'd planned out, and mm-hmm. it was all good. And then it was the morning of part two. And I was nice and relaxed. I had about, uh, you know, an hour and a bit before I needed to leave the house to get there on time to run the session. And I get a call from the organizer. And he's like, hey, Miriam, look, your first session was great. We're just wondering if we can change the second session uh, to be not on anything that you've planned, but to be on storytelling. Right. And so this was, I'd never run a workshop on storytelling before. I, and as a, a chronic over-preparer, I was like, oh my gosh. But as someone that has probably tends to feel the fear and dig deep and do it anyway, I'm like, yep, that sounds great, no problem. <laughs> and I hang up the phone. I'm like, okay, I have one hour to figure out how to teach this room full of executives about storytelling. So, so anyway, long story short, I did it and it actually ran really well it taught me the lesson of 
I think there is a tendency to whatever, it's not just in speaking, but in your own pursuits, in your own subject matter, to overthink things. But I think, you know, there's an 80-20 rule there about if you've got, you know, probably the first couple of hours you spend working on something is going to achieve 80% of the results. Any more after that is probably just diminishing returns. So that hour, I don't think I've ever been so focused in my life. Like I was collating information. I was looking up tips, coming up with these exercises, ran in there. And during the session, I was so present focused because I was like, right. And plus the stuff was really fresh in my memory that, as I said, it came, it came quite naturally and actually went down really well. And I was just totally victorious afterwards because I realized that I'd just accomplished something that, you know, had you p- pitched that to me a couple of hours earlier, I thought, no way can I do that. And yep. yet I did. So it was cool. Fabulous. Um, Miriam, can you tell us, this is very interesting. I'm loving this podcast mm, and thank you again great. for coming in. Are there particular types of speakers, like different types of speakers? Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Totally. I mean, everyone is a different type of speaker. So my goal as a public speaking coach is not to conform you to a archetypal speaker type you know if we think back in the day that polished approach that of being an orator where everything is memorized and deliberate and intentional that was celebrated as being the way to speak i think time as generations have you know passed people are looking for that more authentic delivery so that means being as cheesy as it sounds, that means being you. But not just being you, being the best version of you. So I would say, yes, there are different styles, but that style is largely dictated by that person, whoever is speaking, their personality, what what experience they have, what they bring to the table. So absolutely, there's no point trying to sound or mirror someone else because you're only going to come across as, as a second-rate version of, yeah. of that person that you're trying to come across as. That's amazing. Um, just just as a, as a side note, do, do professional um, like coaches and stuff that have to front the media and stuff like that, or people that we see on TV all the time, not obviously news anchors, do they get help? Coaching? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So they tend to get media training. Right. So it's quite similar. There'd be a lot of overlap in what I offer and what those people would. Right. The, probably the biggest difference with media is that they're... Now I'm thinking about this on the fly here, so this might not be entirely accurate, but I'd probably say that messaging tends to be a lot shorter. Right. So if you're having to front up to media and respond to, I don't know, say an incident that happened with Money Empire and you're Mm -hmm. the spokesperson for the company, Mm -hmm. you're going to be working off a few sound bites of information that you've been authorized to say by sure. the company and you have to say that in a in an authentic apologetic whatever this whatever this sentiment needs to be mm-hmm. uh, whereas in public speaking coaching it probably tends to be more long form like you've got a yeah. whole presentation you've got 15 minutes maybe you've got half an hour 40 minutes whatever to present a presentation on a topic of whatever uh, so so yes there is a lot of overlap but absolutely those key people well i should say they should be trained a lot of them are but they need to be trained because just because someone and this is almost goes back to what we're talking about before just because someone is a confident leader doesn't mean they are a good spokesperson so that person whoever they are and this should all be part of a lot of organizations crisis comms plan and pr plan that there is someone that's delegated to do this 
that person should absolutely be trained to understand how to front to media and and how to manage those situations cool back to public speaking tell me if you have to put a higher premium premium on something would it be in a public in a in a speech would it be words ideas uh, body language tone any of those things and more uh, language i think mm, i mean there's that statistic floating around right that a lot of the impact of a message comes from actually there's nothing to do with the words we say so yep. that's saying that body language and voice play a big role i'd say your your message needs to be at a certain standard for for you to be coming across in a good way but i'd say look it's it's fluid it depends on the person it depends on the message i think those things need to work together in harmony there is probably no uh one component that plays a bigger role what i will say is there is this great concept that i came across a couple of years ago which talks about the three pillars of public speaking they consist of composition conversation and performance so composition is the first pillar of public speaking refers to what you've prepared it's the logic of your ideas it's your material it's your supporting examples it's the way you've fitted ideas together it's your introduction body conclusion and it and it implies a certain level of preparation yeah right so that's composition the second pillar is conversation so conversation often a, a speaker a compliment to speaker can be given as you're very conversational and that tends to be a positive thing because it means that they're speaking to their audience like they would a friend yeah. they're relaxed they're sure. conversational they're authentic but often that doesn't have a level of preparation it's more spontaneous and then the last pillar is performance which is what you said Sanj about body language and the voice and tone so that's everything from posture to eye contact to hand gestures to movement to pace pitch pause projection those kinds of things yeah. performance has received a bit of bad rap in recent years because people think or oh, performance that's about you know that's being phony or that's being about dramatic right. but actually no performance is so important because it's that thing that if you go to a conference and you see the keynote speaker it's that thing that makes you say to your friend at the water cooler on monday ah oh, you just had to be there yeah it's that indescribable element so that's performance and so they so all- sorry so is that is that learned is it developed is it uh, some people are just uh yeah i would say some people it would come more naturally to some than others so okay. some might have to work on it harder than others yeah. some it might come naturally so composition conversation and performance a lot of what speaking is about is about balancing those three things mm. doesn't necessarily mean you balance them all evenly because yeah. in a in an informal setting what do you think would if you were talking to staff what do you think would play a bigger role if you're talking to probably staff. performance right the delivery uh yeah so maybe conversation <laughs> thank you lydia so conversation conversation because it's informal it's authentic it's probably a little bit off the cuff but if you're speaking at a conference performance and probably composition you're yep. going to be more intentional about the logic of your ideas so that's something to think about there is no one piece that plays uh you know you shouldn't necessarily favor one over the other it's just about thinking about those three pillars working in harmony depending on 
and and the balance of those or the weighting of those will depend on the setting in which you are speaking. Cool, awesome. That's amazing. Um, I can't stop saying that word. <laughs> um, tell us a little bit about be- being a business owner, a small business owner. When did you start the business? Uh, just before, just as we were going into lockdown. Okay. Yeah, I mean, what do you want to know? Well, Can you be more specific? Give us challenges. What was hard? What was not hard? What, did, what was different than what you expected? Mm. I mean, you obviously um, relied on that year to be over teams, over Zoom. Did you have a big client base when you did that? No or? way. Okay. No, I started no. from nothing. So, yeah. well, in saying that, when I was at university, I it was impressed upon me how important a professional network is. Mm-hmm. So I was expanding my network from the age of 19 i took it very seriously when i was from 19 and so i benefited from that i was you know several years into that when i started naked audience and so in terms of that support piece it was there i could call upon people that i had in my network that were prepared to help me because i was of course prepared to help them as well so that made things a little bit easier the challenge was no one's looking for in-person coaching when it's locked down, right? Yep. So yeah. I basically transitioned to teaching people how to communicate effectively online because wow. all of a sudden people were having to pitch online. People were having to present online. People were having to run team meetings online. Of course. So yep. that became my what I, what I ended up moving to. And I did enough of that over lockdown so that by the time lockdown lifted, the in-person training naturally took off. Wow. So that kind of put me on the map was that how to communicate effectively online. Fantastic. And now obviously with the rules relaxed, you're out and about and it's a lot mm. easier totally. or more preferred yeah. to be. Oh, totally. I mean, yeah. who? I'm sure we'd all say we'd probably prefer being there in oh, person totally. with totally. people. Yeah, totally. yeah. Uh, so just back to your question. That's a quite a big one. What was what was the actual challenges, question? Challenges. Challenges. Um, sure. I mean, when you're starting out running a business, you're doing everything. So it's very hard to come and compartmentalize. I most enjoy doing my marketing and LinkedIn content and obviously running workshops and meeting with clients. I don't enjoy the finance. I don't enjoy the strategy or, oh, strategy's okay, strategy's okay. But I don't enjoy that kind of more the serious side of business, which is actually probably almost part of the most important. Uh, So... So I think the challenge was doing all of that. It's since gotten easier as I've learnt to be better at everything. My husband kindly does a lot of the boring stuff for me. Like, is he a good speaker? Can he speak publicly? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's terrible that I laughed. No, no, no. He is, but we he doesn't. He, he just. We're very different. We're like polar opposites in personality. Okay. So he, he's introverted and he doesn't feel comfortable speaking in front of an audience if he's prepared if he's speaking on something that he's good at and something he knows a lot about he'd be comfortable but he doesn't enjoy being in the spotlight is probably the easiest way to say it whereas i'm i thrive in the spotlight (laughs) so so it just depends uh challenges at the moment you know we were talking earlier before we started going live that the question now is how are you going to grow how are you going to scale which is a question i get asked a lot but I think it's also it's key to understand when you run a business what does success look like for you because that's different to every person and for me what I have right now is really good I have full autonomy I'm not chasing business that's coming in through the front door my weeks my weeks are my own I can schedule things how I like 
I don't have any staff working for me apart from an assistant. So my life is very uncomplicated at the moment. Adding staff would complicate things. Adding another trainer would complicate things. So I'm actually pretty content in terms of the growing. What I would like to do is get more international gigs and probably just continue to up my prices and you know, be more sought after in, in what I do. But I've got probably quite a romantic view about traveling more for what I do for work. So I'd love to do more of that at least. Any success across the Dutch? Have you been? No, not yet. Not yet. So it's something that I'm in the process of thinking about. uh, Yeah. In the process of exploring, but haven't got there at the moment. And it's hard, right? Because I'm, I'm quite known in this market now, but not over there. So it's a challenge to probably go back to that network, leverage the network and see if, if there's an appetite over there or but then of course you've got a bigger pool of people there's not many people that do what i do i was just gonna Zealand. say are there a lot yeah. of people that do what you do in, 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 in yeah, yeah in australia there's there's lots more and they're probably yeah uh, um, yeah there are a lot there are more people doing doing this kind of stuff but in new zealand there's very few of us so it's it's easier mm. Mm. cool um tell us who do you look up to um, as a, a in a public speaking kind of a forum, who's the person that you look up to and say, oh, "My God, that guy or that," mm. or any mentors really or any mm. authors that you rely on? Well, in terms of well, there's there's different questions there. So in terms of just to tease out the questions, because authors, yeah. do you mean authors and tell, tell us who you look up to first? Generally, yep. I'm a huge Tim Ferriss fan. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know Tim Ferriss, yep. 4-Hour Workweek. Yep. I love his podcast. In fact, when I listen to his podcast, because I'm, I'm quite a keen runner, and I listen when I go for my long runs, I listen to his uh, podcast episodes, I tend to think he is a communicator to try and emulate in terms of his approach yeah. and manner with who he's communicating with. I think he's exemplary in in his style and manner as i said so tim ferris i hugely admire um in terms of speakers i am a big believer that you've there's a lot of i mean it depends on admire i mean i just ran a master class and there was someone who attended most recently who could barely stand up in front of a, the group that was there to, to speak I admire him, not necessarily mm, yeah. because he's the most experienced, but because he was so courageous in doing that. Uh, I mean, I think Obama is a is a fantastic yeah. speaker. There are lots of TED Talks um, that have have good speakers. So look, there's no one person that I'd probably say, this is the person to model. Because again, as I was saying earlier, people have different, different styles. Yeah. People have different ways of doing things. So I would probably say that there's something to learn from, from every speaker. Yeah. How long have you been doing Masterclass now? Ah, masterclasses. Yes, I've been do, doing do, those. Just for people who don't know, mm. obviously, masterclasses. I think are a platform for anyone or any professional out there to help people in a particular field. And obviously, you have one. Have you had success with that? Yeah. So, so my masterclasses I started at the beginning of last year. So they are they're called presentation mastery, and they're a two day offsite for largely executives who are looking to take their public speaking skills to the next level. And they, as a service or an offering, they've really transformed my business because they're incredibly sought after and they just work. They're utterly transformational. And I don't use that term lightly. They just work. 
in short basically i take 10 executives up north to a beautiful luxury lodge just north of just next to walkworth and in the morning of the first day they're given a bit of teaching on how to structure a presentation how to think about your speaking purpose then they go away they spread out across the lodge and start preparing a presentation which they then deliver in front of that group of executives bear in mind no one knows each other before they well very few people know each other before they come to the masterclass so they're a group of strangers then they present in front of one another they're recorded they get feedback from myself they also get feedback from the other attendees wow and then where the magic happens is they then take that feedback they go away and spend another half hour or so making iterations to that same presentation, they come back and they do it again. And they actually deliver the same presentation three times over the two days. And you can imagine it just gets better and better each each time. So it, they just work, they sell out. I mean, the funny thing is I've got my last one for this year is on in November, early November. I haven't even gone really officially live with those and I've only got one ticket left because I've pre-sold them all. So words getting out there in terms of just how powerful they are. And as you can imagine, another benefit of it is when you put 10 strangers in a room and you make them <laughs> make them be vulnerable in front of one another, yeah. there's such a sense of camaraderie that comes out of it. And a lot of these people stay in touch. They get together at a later date. They, you know, Some of them end up going into business together because there's such a bond that happens through that mm-hmm. experience. So the masterclasses have just and and actually to be honest they're when i'm having my most fun like my most fun in terms of my job is running those master classes because oh, it's yeah. just fantastic to see the improvement i've cried several several master classes before seeing the transformation of some people who used to pass out from nervousness who wow. could just absolutely thought they couldn't do it i've had people like come this close to walking out at the beginning of the first day because they thought it was too hard is this all being filmed by the way what do you mean um the The whole masterclass no not the whole thing but but on their but their presentations they're filmed on their own device so they have three versions of their presentations Mm. where you're seeing the first round everything about them is uncomfortable their body language their their voice, they're looking down, they're folding their arms, they're fidgeting, they're needing their notes. But then by the last one, they're commanding that speaking area. They're speaking with authority. They're eyeballing the audience. They're giving examples. Their presentation has logic and substance to it. They're finishing strongly. It's it's just absolutely remarkable uh, what those masterclasses produce. Uh, To give you one example, I was alluding to him earlier. This one guy came along recently and and he nearly walked out because he just couldn't do it. And that was an error on my part and probably I should have spoken to him beforehand. I tend to communicate, talk to each person before they come along and just check that this is the right mm. fit for them. Because mm. it is it is demanding, it is pitched at that executive level. Uh, and this one chat, but I didn't talk to him because it was on suggestion of his boss and he came along and he, he as I said, he nearly walked out. And I was talking to him, I said, well, what would be what would help you stay? What would be the, the the smallest next step for you if we were just to scrap what we've been talking about and scrap the brief that everyone else has been given for this hmm. mask guys? What's the next best step for you? And he said, literally just writing out on a piece of paper, word for word, what I'm going to say and just speaking for 30 seconds in front of the group, reading this piece of paper. And so I'm like, cool, let's do that. And we started there. And, and then the next time he did it, I said, because he, he just stood up on stage while he was, 
delivering and I said hold on you're not going to sit down yet you're going to do it again and this time I just want you to look up more from your piece of paper and then he looked up more and he was connecting with his audience and they said okay we're going to do it one more time for this round and this time you're going to look up more like you did before and you're going to smile and you're going to look like you're enjoying yourself Mm. and he did that and so these baby baby steps and in many ways he came he came further than anyone else did in that masterclass because by the end he was able to talk about himself which he hated doing he was sharing his own stories and and then he stepped away from his notes he was just using prompts he wasn't holding his piece of paper he was standing there he was using his body language he was joking and he ended up having this wicked sense of humor which came out when he just was when he became aware of the fact that he what could a do transformation it. just a huge transformation and he said you know he's one of many that have come up to me afterwards and said you know i'm so grateful for this opportunity this has changed my life Wow. so That's it's dope. it's just That's amazing dope. to yeah. see this and it just shows you know for anyone out there for our callers out there uh you know <laughs> it is it is it's true you can anyone can learn the skills required yes yeah. some pay, some people get it more quickly than other yeah. others but everyone else can learn the skills you need they need to be able to confidently and competently speak in front of an audience it's just a skill that needs work that needs coaching that needs refining like any other skill yeah that's so awesome look for the for, for our listeners how can they find you I mean, there's always people who need this kind of support um, public speaking is one of the probably one of the most scariest things to do how can they find you nakedaudience.co.nz <laughs> uh yeah so naked audience uh is a good place to find me online yeah and linkedin LinkedIn. So I do a lot of thought leadership on LinkedIn. That's been a something that I've been working on for since I've started was was building a base there. So I'm very prominent on LinkedIn, and that's where. Oh, and also my Instagram for those cool kids, course, hip gram. kids out the there, yeah, naked the audience on Instagram. I've also got uh, post on there as well. Awesome, Brilliant. fantastic, Miriam. Thank you so much for coming in today and sharing your um, story with us. I'm sure Sanji found it as captivating as I did. And thanks for coming in today again. My pleasure. Thanks, guys. Awesome. Thanks for listening to Beyond the Field. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with your mates or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest, you can follow us on Instagram at Beyond the Field Podcast or send us an email at info at beyondthefield.co.nz. Thanks again and we'll see you all next time.